0: Chapter 5 The Girl at Central by Geraldine Bonner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Girl at Central by Geraldine Bonner. Chapter 5 There were so many puzzling leads, and so much that was inexplicable and mysterious in the Hesketh case, that it'll be easier to follow if, in this chapter, I put down with the other people who were either suspects or important witnesses did on that sunday some of it may not be interesting but it's necessary to know if you're going to get a clear understanding of a case that baffled the police and pretty nearly there i go again but it's awfully hard when you're not used to it to keep things in the right order i've told how jim donahue said he'd put sylvia on the train for the junction that night at seven-thirty Both Jim and the ticket agent said they'd seen her, and Jim had spoken to her. She carried a handbag, wore a long dark fur coat and a small close-fitting hat that showed her hair. Both men also noticed in her hand the gold mesh purse with a diamond monogram that she always carried. Over her face was tied a black-figured veil that hid her features, but there was no mistaking the hair, the voice or the gold mesh purse sands the pullman conductor said this same woman rode down in his train to the junction where she got off clark the station agent at the junction saw her step from the car to the platform after that he lost track of her as he was busy with the branch line train which left at eight forty five and was the last one up that night no woman went on it there were only two passengers both men. The doctor didn't make his whole story public till the inquest. They said afterward the police knew it, but it was his policy to say little and keep quiet in Mapleshade. What we in the village did know, partly from the paper, partly from the people, was that after the message from Mrs. Fowler saying Sylvia had eloped, he told Mrs. Dalzell that he would have to leave, having been called away to an important case. When the Dalzell chauffeur brought his car round, he asked the man several questions about the shortest way to get to the turnpike. The chauffeur told him that the best traveling would be by the Riven Rock Road, which he would have to go to the junction to get. The doctor left the Dalzells at a little after eight alone in his car. He reached the junction about eight thirty five, a few minutes after the train from Longwood had arrived. On the platform, he spoke to Clark asking him how to get to the riven rock road clark gave him directions then saw him disappear around the station building neither clark nor anyone at the junction there were very few there at that hour saw him leave in his car though they heard the honk of the auto horn but it was jack reddy's movements that everybody was most interested in there was no secret about them sunday at lunch he told Gilsey that he was going away for a trip for a few days. If he stayed longer than he expected, he'd wire back for his things, but, as it was, he'd only want his small auto-trunk, which he'd take with him. When Mrs. Gilsey was packing this, he joked her about having a good time while he was gone, and she told him that, as there'd be no dinner that night, she and Gilsey'd go over to a neighbor's. Take supper there and spend the evening. After that, he asked Casey, the chauffeur, to have the racing car brought round at five, to see that the tank was full, a foot warmer in it, and the heaviest rugs and a drum of gasoline, as he was going on a long trip. At five, he left Fire Hill in the racer. At a quarter to seven, two boys saw him pass the Longwood station in the direction of Maple Lane. He said he came back through the outskirts of the village at 7.30, but no one could be found who had seen him. After he left Fire Hill, the Gilseys cleared up and walked across the fields to Jaycock's farm, where they spent the evening, coming home at ten and finding the house dark and quiet. Casey went to another neighbor's where he stayed till midnight playing cards. He slept over the garage and about four in the morning, he looked at his watch afterward, was awakened by a sound down below in the garage. He listened and made sure that someone was trying to roll the doors back very slow and with as little noise as possible. Casey's a bold, nervy boy, and he reached for his revolver and crept barefoot to the head of the stairs. On the top step he stooped down and looked through the banisters and saw against the big square of the open doors a man standing, with a car behind him, shining in the moonlight he thought it was a burglar so with his revolver up and ready he called Hello there what are you doing the man gave a great start and then he heard mr reddy's voice oh casey did i wake you i've come back unexpectedly help me get this car in they ran the car in and when casey went to tell how he thought it was a burglar and was going to shoot he noticed mr reddy hardly listened to him but was gruff and short All he said was that he'd changed his mind about the trip, and then unstrapped his trunk from the back and turned to go. In the doorway, he stopped as if he'd had a sudden thought and said over his shoulder, "'You don't want to mention this in Longwood. I'm getting a little sick of the gossip there over my affairs.' Casey went back to bed, and in the morning, when he looked at the car, found it was caked with mud, even the wind guard spattered at seven he crossed over to the house for his breakfast and told the gilseys that mr reddy was back they were surprised but decided as he'd been out so late they'd not disturb him till he rang for his breakfast monday morning was clear and sharp the first real frost of the season all the time i was dressing i was thinking about the elopement and how queer it was mrs fowler saying they'd gone by turnpike and Jim Donahue saying he'd seen Sylvia leave on the train, I worked it out that they'd made some change of plans at the last moment, but the way they'd eloped didn't matter to me. Small things like that didn't cut any ice when I was all tormented, wondering if it was for the best that my hero should marry a wild girl who no one could control. I hadn't been long at the switchboard and was sitting sideways in my chair, looking out the window when I saw Dr. Fowler's auto drive up, with the doctor and a strange man in it. I twirled round quick, and was the business-like operator. I'll bet no one would have thought that the girl sitting so calm and indifferent in that swivel chair was just boiling with excitement and curiosity. The doctor looked bad, yellow as wax, with his eyes sunk and inflamed. He didn't take any notice of me beside a fierce sort of look and a gruff, give me Corona 142." That was Fire Hill. I jacked in and the doctor went into the booth and shut the door. The strange man stood with his hands behind him looking out of the window. I didn't know then that he was a detective, and I don't think anyone ever would have guessed it. If you asked me I'd have said he looked more like a clerk at a ribbon counter. But that's what he was, Walter Mills by name engaged that morning as we afterward knew by the doctor watching him with one eye i leaned forward very cautiously lifted up the cam and listened in on the conversation is this gilsey then gilsey's nice old voice yes sir who is it the doctor's was quick and hard never mind that it doesn't matter do you happen to know where mr reddy is my heart gave a big jump. He hadn't caught them. They'd got away and been married. Yes, sir. Mr. Reddy's here. There was just a minute's pause before the doctor answered. And in that minute, all sorts of ideas went flashing through my head the way they say you see things before you drown. Then came the doctor's voice with a curious sort of quietness in it. There at Firehill? Yes, sir can i take any message mr reddy was out very late last night and isn't up yet the doctor answered that very cordially all the hurry and hardness gone oh that's all right i'll not disturb him no i won't bother with the message i'll call up later thanks very much Goodbye. i dropped back in my chair tapping with a pencil on the corner of the drawer "'and looking sideways at the doctor as he came out of the booth. "'He had a queer look, his eyes keen and bright, "'and there was some colour in his face. "'The strange man turned round, "'and the doctor gave him a glance sharp as a razor, "'but all he said was, "'Come on, Mills,' "'and they went out and mounted into the car. "'When the door banged on them, "'I drew a deep breath and flattened out against the chair back, they hadn't eloped. Gee, it was a relief. Not because of myself. Honest to God, that's straight. I knew I couldn't have him any more than I could have had the corner diamond. It was because I knew, deep down where you feel the truth, that Sylvia Hesketh wasn't the girl for him to marry. That was about half-past eight. It was after ten when a message came from Mapleshade That made the world turn upside down and left me white and sick. It was from the coroner and said that Sylvia Hesketh had been found that morning on the turnpike, murdered. Poor Mrs. Fowler took it. Anne Hennessy told me afterward that she heard her scream on the other side of the house. I heard it too, and it raised my hair. And then a lot of words coming thin and shrill along the wire. "'Sylvia, my daughter! Dead! Murdered!' "'It was awful. I hate to think of it.' "'Nora and Anne ran at the sound and found Mrs. Fowler all wild and screaming, "'with the receiver hanging down. "'I could hear them, a babble of tiny little voices, "'as if I had a line on some part of Purgatory "'where the spirits were crying and wailing. "'Suddenly it stopped.' somebody had hung up. I waited, shaking there like a leaf and feeling like I'd a blow in the stomach. Then Mapleshade called, and I heard Anne's voice, distinct but broken, as if she'd been running. Molly, is that you? Do you by any chance know if the doctor's in the village? He was here a little while ago with a man calling up Firehill. Anne, I heard. It can't be true. Oh, it is. It "'It is. I can't talk now. I've got to find him. Give me Firehill. He may have gone there quick, for God's sake.' I gave it and heard her tell a man at the other end of the line. "'I'll go on from here and tell what happened at Firehill. I've pieced it out from the testimony at the inquest and from what the Gilseys afterward told in the village.' The doctor and Mills went straight out there from the exchange. When they arrived, Gilsey told him Mr. Reddy wasn't up yet, but he'd called him. The doctor, however, said the matter was urgent and they couldn't lose a minute, so the three of them went upstairs together and Gilsey knocked at the door. After he'd knocked twice, a sleepy voice called out, come in, and Gilsey opened the door. It led into a sitting room with a bedroom opening off it. On a sofa just opposite the door was Jack Reddy, dressed and stretched out as if he'd been asleep at first he saw no one but gilsey and sat up with a start saying sharply what's the matter does anyone want me gilsey said yes two gentlemen to see you and stepped to one side to let the doctor and mills enter when reddy saw the doctor he jumped to his feet and stood looking at him he didn't say good morning or any sort of greeting but was silent as if he was holding himself still waiting to hear what the doctor was going to say He hadn't to wait long. The doctor, in the doorway, went right to the point. "'Mr. Reddy?' said he. "'Where's my daughter?' Reddy answered in a quiet, composed voice, "'I don't know, Dr. Fowler.' "'You do!' shouted the doctor. You ran away with her last night. What have you done with her?' Reddy said in the same dignified way, "'I haven't done anything. I know nothing about her.' I haven't any more idea than you where she is. At that, the doctor got beside himself. He shouted out furiously, "'You have, you damned liar, and I'll get it out of you!' And he made a lunge at Reddy to seize him. But Mills jumped in and grabbed his arm. Holding it, he said, trying to quiet down the doctor, "'Just wait a minute, Dr. Fowler. Maybe when Mr. Reddy sees that we understand the situation, he'll be willing to explain.' Then he turned to Reddy. There's no good prevaricating. Your letter to Miss Hesketh has been found. Now we're all agreed that we don't want any talk or scandal about this. If you want to get out of the affair without trouble to yourself and others, you'd better tell the truth. Where is she? Who the devil are you? Reddy cried out suddenly, as mad as the doctor, and before Mills could answer, the branch telephone on the desk rang. Reddy gave a loud exclamation and made a jump for it but Mills got before him and caught him. He struggled to get away till the doctor seized him on the other side. They fought for a moment and then got him back against the door, all the time the telephone ringing like mad. As they wrestled with him, Mills called over his shoulder to Gilsey. Answer the telephone quick. Gilsey, scared most out of his wits, ran to the phone and took down the receiver. Anne hennessy was at the other end with her awful message when he got it gilsey gave a cry like he was stabbed and turned to mr reddy pinioned against the door good lord have mercy mr jack he gasped out miss hesketh's dead she's murdered on the turnpike murdered last night the doctor dropped reddy tore the instrument out of gilsey's hand and took the rest of the message. Reddy turned the colour of ashes. There wasn't any need to hold him. He fell back against the door with his jaw dropped and his eyes staring like a man in a trance. Gilsey thought he was going to die, and was running to him crying out, "'Oh, Mr. Jack, don't look that way!' But Mills caught the old servant by the arm and held him back, watching Reddy as sharp as a ferret." THE DOCTOR TURNED FROM THE PHONE AND SAID, IT'S TRUE, IT'S TRUE, MISS HESKES'S BEEN MURDERED. THERE WAS A DEAD SILENCE. THE CLICK OF THE RECEIVER FALLING INTO ITS HOOK WAS THE ONLY SOUND. THE THREE OTHER MEN, THE DOCTOR AS WHITE AS DEATH TOO, STOOD STARING AT REDDY. AND THEN, SEEING THOSE THREE FACES, HE BURST OUT LIKE HE WAS CRAZY. NO, SHE'S NOT. She can't be. I was there. I went the moment I got her message. I was on the turnpike where she said she'd be. I was up and down there most of the night, and—and—he stopped suddenly and put his hands over his face, groaning. Oh, my God, Sylvia, why didn't you tell me? He lurched forward and dropped into a chair, his hands over his face, moaning like an animal in pain. End of— Chapter 5